welcome to the latest edition of the Aon Pensions podcast, Retirement Market Update. I'm your host, Victoria Panormo. Today I have some pensions news for you, and then I'll be joined by Aon's Tim Manuel to discuss responsible investment. To the news. Pension politics. Amber Rudd leaves her post as Secretary of State for Work and Pensions after 296 days in office after being reappointed in July. Therese Coffey joins the Department of Work and Pensions after three years at the Department of Environment, Food and Rural Affairs, where she'd been Junior Minister for Environment and Rural Opportunity. The Prime Minister has announced the government will deliver its first Queen's speech on the 14th of October. The Queen's speech may include provisions for a pensions bill comprising policies on powers of the pensions regulator, an authorisation and supervision regime for DB consolidators and CDC schemes, and of course, the pensions dashboard. Therese Coffey's to-do list is growing daily. Let's hope she has a restful break. GMP equalisation. There is a lot going on in the exciting world of GMP equalisation. It's been announced that Lloyds are going back to the High Court in April next year to answer some of the unresolved questions on GMP equalisation, in particular whether schemes need to revisit transfers back to 1990. PASA have started to publish their guidance on good practice for equalisation, with more expected on methods, data, transactions and rectification. HMRC have said they'll publish their thoughts on the tax consequences in the autumn. There have been a number of comments in the press that GMP equalisation is going to be a top priority for schemes next year. And that's what we're hearing from our clients, with many of them getting the preparation underway, looking to beat the rush and inevitable resource squeeze in the next few years as every scheme in the country tries to source the data that they'll need. So while there are very few schemes that are keen to be first implementers, being early preparers is really important. Setting investment objectives. We've mentioned in previous podcasts the requirement for trustees to set investment objectives for their advisors by the 10th of December. The CMA order is expected to be passed into pensions law by DWP. DWP has run a consultation process on the planned regulations, which finished early September. Once passed into law, TPR will be able to oversee the new duties of the trustees. TPR have also just finished a consultation on setting objectives for providers of investment consultancy services, and the results will be confirmed in due course. House of Lords report on RPI. The UK Statistics Authority has recommended the government scraps the retail price index, describing it as not a good measure of inflation. The authority stated that in the interim prior to scrapping the RPI, its shortcomings should be addressed by bringing the methods of CPIH into it. In response to the suggestion, the Chancellor has agreed to consult in January 2020 on whether to merge CPIH with RPI. However, if it finds in favour of the changes, the merger would not occur until between 2025 and 2030. Some DB schemes have RPI-linked rises in their rules, and millions of people purchased annuities which increase with RPI. This means that scrapping the RPI as an inflation measure could have serious implications for pension scheme members and professionals. Investment Update 
the market is working on an extension to the October 31st deadline as its central expectation and fears of a disorderly no-deal Brexit at the end of October have receded. This has supported a mild recovery in sterling. UK gilt yields fell sharply through August, mainly a global phenomenon reflecting fears about the global recovery and have been recovering a little in the month since. At this time, gilts have been mainly driven by global factors. Sterling is, however, clearly impacted by Brexit's shifting sands. We should note that extending the October 31st Brexit deadline does not say much about how the Brexit issue will ultimately be resolved. This will continue to be an overhang on sterling and probably gilts too. The market is still working on UK interest rate cuts, even from current low levels, being required to cope with Brexit uncertainty and the weak global economy. If you want more investment commentary, try our Market Outlook website. I will include a link in the show notes. If you'd like any more information on any of these areas, I'll include contact details at the end. Don't forget you can subscribe to the podcast series through your smartphone via iTunes and Spotify so you never miss an episode. Welcome to the interview part of the podcast. Changes in regulation, demographic shifts and increased availability of data have prompted a dramatic increase in the number of investors who have increased in exploring and implementing responsible investment initiatives. Aon is an advocate of best practices in responsible investment and we have spearheaded several initiatives to help provide our clients and the investment industry with future insights and guidance on this evolving topic. Today I have with me Tim Manuel, head of Aon's Responsible Investment Team. Good morning, Tim. Good morning, Victoria. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners, please? My name's Tim Manuel and I head up what we do at Aon around responsible investment in the UK. You know, what, what that really means is I get to go out and talk to lots of our clients to really help understand their needs and help them work through what this really means for them. What does it mean, Tim? Responsible investment 101, what does it mean? Good question, Victoria. What is responsible investment? It does mean different things to different people. And so a good question to really address up front. Now, if you were to go and Google responsible investment, you get thousands of different definitions of it. Personally, I think the most useful definition is the one that has been developed by the PRI. So the PRI is a body that was established by the UN, the United Nations, to really be the main proponent and promoter of responsible investment. And they have what I think is a really good definition. And I'm going to read it out for you. Oh, please. It is. Responsible investment is an approach to investing that aims to incorporate environmental, social and governance, ESG, factors into investment decisions to better manage risk and generate sustainable long-term returns. Responsible investing, so RI, ESG, SRI, climate change, what terminology are we supposed to be using? Terminology is a big challenge in this area. There have been efforts and there are continued efforts to try and standardise some of this terminology so that when we have these conversations with each other, we all know what we're talking about. But at the moment, you know, lots of this terminology is used slightly differently by different people to mean slightly different things. When I'm talking to trustees about this, I try and encourage them not to get too hung up on 
just exactly what that terminology means. Because whatever it might mean today, it could be different tomorrow. But just going back to that definition that I read out earlier, Victoria, by the PRI, one of the reasons why I think this is a great definition is it captures three of the most important themes of responsible investment. So the first of those themes is the incorporation of ESG factors into the way that decisions are being made. The second theme is around how responsible investment can be about taking a longer term outlook and making sure that that long term view is incorporated into those decisions. And then the third theme is really that this is all about generating better financial outcomes. So better managing risks and generating those more sustainable long term returns. Why all the excitement now, Tim? One of the things that's really kicked off this issue and moved it up the priority order for trustees is the fact that um, some new regulation was posted late in 2018 that requires trustees to have taken action before the 1st of October 2019. And, And that action is really to make sure that their statement of investment principles or their SIP has been updated to capture their policies around three key themes within responsible investments. The first of those themes is how they take account of financially material considerations, which includes these ESG factors and includes climate change. The second is how trustees take account of non-financial matters. And what that really relates to is any ethical views that they might have or might be shared with them by their members. And thirdly, what the trustee's policy is in relation to stewardship. Stewardship is really the act or process of being a responsible owner of the assets that you do own. So for example, when you hold equities, you're a shareholder, you often have voting rights. How do you go about exercising those voting rights? The 1st of October deadline has passed. So trustees have updated their statement of investment principles. Is, Is that it? It's not it. There's two reasons why it's not it. So the first is there are more regulations that have since been issued. And those regulations are going to require trustees to make further changes to their SIPs before the 1st of October 2020. What you can see from that is there's a clear direction of travel in terms of the regulatory requirements and pressure that has been and will continue to be put on trustees to do more on this. So I said there were two things. And the second thing is actually, I'd I'd say more positive and more encouraging, which is even though that first set of regulations were the trigger or the catalyst for trustees to start having conversations around this. What we found is that as trustees get into those discussions, there is a recognition that this is something that's important to them and their role as a trustee, and that many of them want to do more. When I read the pensions press, which I do frequently, not just when I'm preparing for this, I see that schemes are hitting the headlines more and more with what they're doing in this area. Can you tell us a bit more about where schemes are going beyond what they're regulated to do? I also enjoy the pensions press, Victoria. My advice to trustees would be read that pensions press too, but don't be too worried that all these pension schemes that you're reading about seem so far ahead of where you are today. I sit in lots of trustee meetings that are held behind closed doors, and I have seen how, for many trustees, they really are at the beginning of this journey. Now, that's not to say that there aren't some great schemes out there that are really leading the way, and it's great to understand what they're doing to act as some inspiration for where you might be at some point in the future. But don't feel like you're out of the herd 
by still at the beginning of really getting to grips with what this means for you as a scheme. The majority of schemes have only just clarified what it is they're going to do to satisfy these new regulatory requirements. You know, many of them, as I said, are now planning on what they would like to do next, having recognized that this is a topic that's important to them. But most of them are just at the beginning of that journey. Can we explore RI from another perspective then? Investment manager and products and what's out there. So let's assume that all trustee boards now have their policy in place, actually want to go out and implement something. How have things evolved? There's been a quite astounding acceleration in the amount of ESG-related products and funds that are available from managers. If I hear one more manager say that ESG is embedded in their DNA, although if a manager does say that to you, if you've got a good filing system, pull out the pack that they gave you three years ago and just count how many times they, they do mention ESG, and that's always a good test. Saying that, that proliferation of products means that there is likely to be the fund or the product out there to suit the needs of a particular trustee and scheme. I mean, I do think that most important starting point is articulating your own policy as a trustee board to make it really clear what it is that you're looking for and what's important to you. But once you've established that, then that range of products and approaches out there means that there should be something that suits your needs. Tell me a bit about exclusions versus engagement. It feels like it's a topic of debate. So one of the biggest debates really across the industry is what is the most effective approach? Is it engagement or is it divestment or is it some combination of both? If you take divestment, first of all, you know, the argument for it is that by withdrawing your capital from that company, you make it more expensive for them to do business. The argument against divestment is if you're not a shareholder, you have no capacity to influence the way that that business runs itself, which is really the argument for engagement, which is that the most influence you can have is by owning a company and then using all the tools in your box to try and encourage that company to change the way it operates or change the sector it operates in or change the products that it produces and sells. Coming back to your question about engagement versus divestment, arguably, and I think this is where we settle, the best approach is one that incorporates both of those themes, i.e. seek what you can do to engage with the company as much as possible, but with the overhanging threat of divestment if that company does not adapt or change its behavior to meet some of those expectations you've placed on it. But it does depend on the circumstances and the type of assets you're investing in and the type of manager that you have running that portfolio. But at the end of the day, we do have some trustees who just say, this is a sector that we believe there is no benefit or potential benefit of trying to engage with them. And so we're just not going to invest. An example of that is the tobacco sector, where some trustees recognize that the prospect of them changing their business model so substantially that they don't rely on selling cigarettes. One of the things that I think that Aon are doing that kind of sets them apart from perhaps some of the other consultancies in, in pensions out there is the RI network, which I think is becoming more and more popular and standing room only in some of them. For those of listeners that don't don't know about the RI network at the moment, do you want to do you want to cover a bit about that? do so i i like to call it by its long version which is aeon's responsible investment network oh, it's formal title <laughs> exactly well it, and it's it is catching on and i think that comes back to 
kind of why why we felt the need to set it up in the first place. One one thing I found is when you go to all of these different ESG and responsible investment seminars, you tend to find quite a lot of the same people talking about the same thing and and all violently agreeing with each other. And and also you mentioned this earlier, Victoria, when you read the press, you also tend to only hear about what some of the schemes are doing who are really at the leading edge of this. That's only so helpful for the pension schemes who we know are in the majority and are really only just starting out on their journey. So the the idea of the responsible investment network was to try and bring those trustees together and have some open and honest conversations about where schemes are on this and to give trustees the opportunity to share what they had done to overcome some of their challenges so that others can learn from them. What's been really refreshing about these events is they're a little bit different to what we're used to. So our more typical events are we stand at the front, we deliver some content, but we're, you know, we're really well prepared to do that. And you look to get engagement in the audience. With the events that we hold, what we look to do is have the content delivered from the audience, if that makes sense. So really encourage people to share and talk about what they've done within their scheme, how they did it, how they overcome the challenges and what that and what that resulted in. For the trustees that have come along and attended these events, I think what they've said they've really valued is recognizing that they're not alone and there are lots of other trustees who are having the same discussions and the same challenges and actually there's lots that they can learn from each other. Trustees and sponsors listening to this podcast, what can they go away and add to their to-do list? So let's make a to-do list first. We all know that the regulation is only going in one direction, so expect more of that in the future, not less. There's more to this than just regulation, and I see that in the conversations I have with the trustees, that they recognise this is more than just ticking the box. There's work going on now about understanding beliefs, articulating those policies. I think for the next 12 months are really going to be about starting to put that into practice and start really thinking about how your investment portfolios align with those beliefs and those policies that that you set out as a trustee group. And if this is something that you really want to engage in, then come and join Aon's Responsible Investment Network, where you get an opportunity to speak to your peers and understand how they're moving forward with this. Okay, I think all there's left to do is to thank you for coming in. So thank you, Tim. Been my pleasure. That's it for today. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to the latest edition of the Aon Pensions podcast with me, Victoria Panormo, and my guest, Tim Manuel. If you'd like more information on our retirement solutions or you want to feature in a future podcast, you can contact me on victoria.panormo at aon.com or please visit our website. (laughs) 